Welcome to Fold Profits Podcast. State your name, Gangsta. <laughs> Julia mm-hmm. Wilkins. Uh, but everyone calls me Jules. So. Okay. Hello, Jules. How are you? I am good on this Sunday afternoon. It's raining out on the West Coast. Um, and I am just glued to CNN. But otherwise, I cannot complain. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a productive weekend or a couple of days for me. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it's been a pretty good productive couple of days. Um, I am at home sweating in November. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've been running around all day uh, in shorts and a hoodie all day. So it's been a crazy day, but it's just a beautiful, a beautiful day in November here. And I've been enjoying it. 70 degrees. I love it. That is awesome. That's like California weather. That's great. Yeah, I'll take it. In, Dece- in, in November, I'll take it. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's, not often that, it's not often that we can say that here in Chicago where we have 70-degree days. So I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, granted, I haven't lived in Chicago in, what, 17 years? But with that being said, you never forget the, the weather. <laughs> Yeah, the weather, the weather is usually a, a pain to ask because it's heading into that six to eight months of cold and vortexes and blizzards and stuff like that. So uh, right now I'm just enjoying what I can while it's here and, and, and thankful for it as well. So you've been in California for 17 years, you just said? Yeah. All right, so take well, no, wait, 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 rewind. Sorry, 16 years. I lived in Florida for a year first. I always forget that one year I lived in Florida because it was just like kind of a blip on the radar. Okay. Uh, and moved out here. So it's been 16 years. Okay. All right, so take us back to the beginning. Where did you grow up, actually? So I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, on the South Side um, in the hundreds, the wild hundreds. I grew up on 104th and Union. Um, and then moved when I was in middle school to 125th and Emerald. So South Side through and through. Okay. How did you end up going to CVS though, since you stayed so far away? So actually, so I went to a school called Gillespie on uh, 93rd uh, and I believe it's State Street because it's right off the Dan Ryan. And um, one of my teachers there, she was the one who recommended me to go to CVS. Um, and so I ended up going there, but then I transferred to Julian my junior year. Why the transition to Julian? You know what? It was because, um, to be completely honest with you, I had friends in my ear that I grew up with. Um, and so they were the ones that were like, you should come to Julian. Like, you know, you'll be around all of us and it'll be like old times. And that was like the biggest mistake I ever made because I actually enjoyed going to CVS. It wasn't that bad. Um, High school on a whole as a a, a teenage girl is just a tough time because it's transitioning into and blossoming into womanhood, so to speak. But, um, like going to Julian, it was just a big mistake because my friends misled me. But then that was kind of at a time where I was just easily impressionable. Okay. Okay. I think there are those who are easily impressionable at that time, right? You know, it happens. Yeah. Peer pressure happens. Um, 
it's something that's just going to take place unless you are already grounded and you know who you are. And there's a very small percentage of people who know who they are at that point in time. Definitely. And then you add into that some of the things that I've been through as a kid. And it just kind of was this storm of just bad decisions. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so you said your junior year at Julian? Mm -hmm. My junior and senior year. Junior and senior year. What did you major in while you were at Julian? So at Julian, they didn't have like career academies like CVS did. Uh, so it's just like more trans, like it's like traditional. I was about to say transitional, uh, traditional high school. Um, but they did have like a special class for uh, students that they felt had like more potential to do well. Um, and so I was uh, brought into that class. However, I was a perpetual class cutter. Uh, I rarely went to class. I probably <laughs> did not go to class more than I went to class my entire four years of high school. Wow. And it is that I even managed to graduate. I am surprised to hear that. I was not expecting to hear that. Oh yeah, like it, you know, in, in hindsight, it's very funny because like I've been thinking about, I'm always a person that is very self-aware of who I am, right? And I'm always thinking about things. And I thought about the reason why I never went to class. And it was because not only of the being impressionable, but like going through the things that I went through, I was like going through like escape ism and I didn't have really anyone to really guide me because I was a latchkey kid right my mom was always working immigrant mom always working stepfather that was pretty abusive so I was just trying to escape and so not going to class <laughs> was my way of escaping and it's not to say that it was wasn't because I was smart I was very intelligent um however I just I I, I needed and out, and that was my out. Okay, and that was intelligent, is bong bong. All right, so going forward, I just heard you say that your mom was an immigrant. Where's your mom from? She is from Kingston, Jamaica. Okay, okay, dad too? Uh, my, my biological dad, uh, I only met him once in my life. He's from, I believe, St. Anne's Parish. So he's also Jamaican, but he's just okay. not from Kingston. Okay, those damn dads. So was there a fill-in? Yeah, my stepfather came into the picture. So my stepfather had always been in the picture from when my sister was young. So, but like my mom and him had an on and off relationship. Okay. Okay. So if you would have stayed at CVS, what major would you have chosen? Do you know? Oh, shoot. Uh... Probably business. Uh, yeah, I'll probably say business. Business, okay. All right. And then from high school, what was the transition? Was it college and then moving to the West Coast or was it just the West Coast and then? Oh, no. I had an interesting transition. So I had a child first. So um, I ended up having my oldest daughter when I was like 19 and uh she was kind of like my saving grace to get out of my messed up situation with my stepdad 
Um, I ended up moving in with her father, but that proved to be very tumultuous and uh, was not a good situation. Um, so I ended up moving back in with my parents uh, temporarily until I met my now ex-husband. And once I met my ex-husband, that was completely my ticket out. Okay. Okay. Uh, would you like to speak on what was going on between you and your stepdad? Or I mean, I'll, I'll keep it brief because heavy because that could be a whole different conversation in itself. Um, but I don't want you to bash. I just want you to just say from your perspective. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want you to bash. Yeah. Oh, never. I would never bash him. That that would prove to be futile. Um, I would say, uh, you know, it was sexual abuse, which is something that is normal, not normal, but kind of like appears to be a, a normal phenomenon in the in the community now that I've seen it because it seems like a lot of Black women have gone through it. And it's something that a lot of us do not talk about because it's one of those things that it, it, we are forced to to keep it under wraps. You don't want to embarrass your family, especially in a Jamaican household. It is one of those things where you don't talk about it, you deal with it in silence, and then you just move on from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not to cut you off, but I'm starting to hear that more lately about abuse um, uh, within within a community where, where the young women, they feel left out, they feel alienated, like they're ashamed, like they're embarrassed about what happened to them, but it happened. And they don't feel like they should speak out because everyone around them feels like they're lying or or they don't know what they what they're talking about. But I feel like a young person knows what is actually happening to them when it happens. And I think there should be more um, logic put into that to pay, make sure that we're paying attention to what the child is saying and what is actually going on instead of glossing over it and watching this whole thing play out in the wrong way. Um, I, I know some people that it ha happened to personally. And it's kind of upsetting that when you hear about it later on in life, and you're just like, damn, like, why are the parents or the guardians of the child not paying attention to the actual child, what the child is saying? How is it okay that you're trusting an adult over a child? And I feel like I, this is my, my theory or my guess, educated guess, or my guesstimation, I don't know. But I feel like we're asking, we're trying to get children to talk on an adult level, and that's something that they just can't do. You have to be able, you can't, you don't understand necessarily a child's narrative, but they are a child and you once were a child as well. Therefore, we should be able to take in consideration their emotions, their feelings, and how, and how they go about what, they, what, they're, what they're talking about. Um, it's it's, it's, it's kind of hurtful and shameful to know that so many people have been abused and we're just letting it happen and we're not saying anything about it. You know what I mean? Well, there's a separate issue from that as well, because you know that Black women tend to be more sexualized at an earlier age as well. And I think a lot of that ties into just the fact that we live in this society where misogyny, toxic masculinity, these are things that in the community, you know, this is something that is not really discussed. And these are things that are not addressed. So when you look at when women are going through sexual abuse or molestation and things like that, 
oftentimes it's offset by, oh, well, women tend to, the young women, they dated older men. I used to see men pick them up from high school. And this is because it's, it's something that in the community, it is, nobody checks that. You get what I'm saying? Like nobody is looking out for these young women because oftentimes when they grow up, they grow up in these environments where like you had mentioned, where adults don't put a focus on that and they're not listening to these young ladies. And so for them, it's just like, if it's going to fall on deaf ears anyway, why would I even say anything? I think that's that's in itself is toxic and shame on all of us for not recognizing it, being more aware of it and saying something within the community and, and then to whoever else needs to be involved. Uh, it's very sad, you know, it's very, like I said, very shameful to know that that's actually what happened. And then the excuse that I just heard you make, well, their, their bodies develop at a young age. That is no excuse to, to take advantage of a young woman. Um, we're, we're in the process of that, you're changing the way that her mind thinks and the way that her body thinks. And she's starting to think that she is grown and it's okay for her to date older men. And it's really not. Um, we're taking her away from her innocence and her ability to uh, form her own opinion at a young age and grow and have fun and do the normal kid things. And we're setting them on the wrong path. As we have seen, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but this, is per this person is a very famous person. And he has taken advantage of a lot of uh, young, innocent women. Yeah. He's been on trial for it and said that he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, so you had the child, you had these uh, different situations where you had to move from one house to another. Um, for you, what can I ask you? Like, where were you mentally? Like, is that is that something I can ask you? Yeah, you could definitely ask me. Uh, I mentally was kind of all over the place because it was one of those things where once again, being grounded and having stability, that was something I never really grew up with. Having a mom, working all the time, being in a household with people that were always working all the time and focused on their own thing. Um, and at the time I didn't really have a, a close relationship with my sister. So it was just kind of like I was on my own trying to figure out things. And that's kind of how the premise of my life has been up to this point being 39. It's always been at a point where uh, I've been trying to figure out things on my own. It was only when I got married where I had some type of stability. And then even then after a while that started to diminish. So I had to once again, go back and start figuring out things on my own. If there was something that you could change between those uh, younger years up until the point where you had your first child, what would you, what would you want to have changed? Like, what would you like to have been done differently for you? So, what would I have done differently before I had my daughter or after? Either or. Okay. Either or. So, I mean, the first thing I would have done differently was step up to my mom and tell her what was going on with my stepdad. Uh, I felt, I didn't want to hurt my mom. That's why I didn't tell her. My mm. sister didn't tell her because my sister went through it too. And my sister being older, my, my sister seen the failed relationships that my mother had in the past. And so me being a younger daughter, I looked at my mom as like this hero. So I didn't want to hurt my mom. And yeah, it does it might not make too much sense, but at the time it made sense to me. No, I, I, I get it. I get it. 
I get it. Yeah. So I wish I would have said something back then and really been vigilant about it, like the type of person I am today. Um, and, and I encourage that in my daughters. I'm like, no matter what goes on, I want you to be vocal and feel comfortable to say what you have to say, even if you feel that people don't want to hear it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and you have how many daughters or kids? Two. You have two. All right. And so I'm definitely sure that you made them aware of all this type of behavior and everything like that. Eventually, like I, I waited until they were old enough to understand. My youngest daughter, she did mention, she was just like, why are you telling us this? And I was just like, so you can understand who I am as a person and why I am the way I um, am in life. Yeah. Uh, I think oftentimes like people don't understand like, you know, the battle scars that some people have. And I think the beauty part about myself is that like, I'm very open-minded to other people, even if we have like complete differing ideologies and viewpoints. Um, and so I expect people to feel the same way about me. Doesn't always happen. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> but not, I... no, not always going to happen. Uh, there are people that you may talk to and listen to or come in contact with. No matter what you tell them, there is no understanding and there is no empathy with them. They're just going to feel what they feel and know what they know because that box that we're all raised in or that system that we all raise them is just all they know and that's what they're going to stick to. All right, so yeah. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk me if you got something to say, Sam. Oh, yeah. Like with that, like, you know, and then you bring up a good point. And that's, like, and that's very sad because I think that is the issue with people today. Uh, the lack of empathy and understanding and too much of an opinion that's baseless. <laughs> you know, like, I think that is the, the problem that we see currently going on, like just in this country alone. Yeah. But, you know, individuals, I think that, you know, that is the problem. It's like we don't seek to understand. We, we speak to rebut, not to understand one another and actually take in and learn something. Yeah, I think uh, the other term someone told me was uh, certain people have on, was it horse blinders? And they only see what they what they can see in front of them. They can't see anything on the side because that's not what they they've been taught or what they what they should be able to understand it's only what they see in front of them um and that's it that they have no understanding of how anything else works so uh it's a sad situation but again it's the world we live in um i'm just glad i've been able to meet different people and travel and read books and do things like that to have a better understanding of how things actually work uh because if i didn't i would be one of those guys who probably thought that um going to work working a job um going to church and everything like that was just okay yeah it's fine as long as that was life and that's not how this world works that's not uh, what um based on what i've done as far as research as far as our ancestors go that's not what they believed in and that's not how we should continue to live our lives all right so introduce me to this point where you get onto the west coast damn it because you leave you hide it. Yeah. I see that you're trying to hide it, damn it. <laughs> so the West Coast. I, I came out here in 2004. All right. uh, and it was a game changer for me um, in many ways. It really taught me, like, one, true independence because I was completely away from, like, my, my family. So it was just like I was completely away from my family and had a new family. 
you know, my own family, my own spouse, everything was not perfect by no means, but everything was just different. So it was like really taking me out of my comfort zone. And then coming to the West Coast, the West Coast is a different beast. It, it's definitely like more like dog eat dog, <laughs> so to speak, um, in the sense really? where everybody here, yeah, it, it's when you think like I work in tech. So when you think about like working in tech, it is very competitive and it tends to be elitist. And it also is one of those things where um, it's, it's just everybody's an overachiever, everyone. <laughs> and, but the thing is we're overachievers to, to just scrape by because it's so expensive to live out here too. So you, that was like one of those things. That was the first thing to navigate through. Like when I first moved out here, our rent was like $1,100, which was like unheard of. Like I would kill to pay $1,100 right now. Uh, <laughs> but that was super expensive back then, yeah, right? It's probably and, not for much. It's probably like for like a box. It was. It was like for a two bedroom, one bath, not glamorous apartment, like very like just simple. Um, at least we had air conditioning, <laughs> but that was it. And we lived in San Jose at the time. And then, um, like at that point, I wasn't college educated. Um, I entertained going to school quite a few times, but like never went through with it because after not going to school or class, should I say, in high school, often I didn't. I didn't think I was very smart, right? I was just like, oh, like comparing myself to others. I was like, I don't think I was very smart, which wasn't true. I read a lot. Um, and my my ex-husband, you know, he was prior military. So, you know, and he was pretty smart, arrogant, you know, and, and thought he knew everything. So like being around him, I had to keep up with that. And so like I, I started like kind of really like getting myself like acclimated to like how things were out here, reading more, learning more about like the culture and the environment and started getting up to speed. And I was comfortable just like being kind of like his, his supporter, like being in the background. That's the type of person that I normally look at myself as, like the person in the background being the support system. But then slowly but surely people started getting me out of my comfort zone and, and trying to get me to be the, the front person, which is very uncomfortable for me. Um, but At it the was time just like, it was uncomfortable. It still is. <laughs> yeah, really? yeah, it is still very uncomfortable uh, because it's one of those things that once again, it's always safe to be in the background. Uh, I, I, I lived like that. I, that was my whole entire existence. Like being in the background, being the youngest kid, being in the background, like, you know, just doing my own thing. And then um, like, I, I kind of had this epiphany, like when I was like in my late twenties, because like my, my ex-husband was climbing up the ladder. Right. And I was just like, well, hell, like I want to do something with my life. And I was just like, yeah, it's cool to be a mom. It's cool to be his wife, but what am I bringing to the table? So I ended up going to school, went back to community college where I flourished. And then that kind of set and paved the way for me to go to a, a, one of the top 50 universities in the country at the time. Um, and then it got me to where I'm at today. 
So, you know, that change of pace, getting away from everything that I knew, which was very uncomfortable, was my saving grace to be the person that I am today. Okay, awesome. Um, is there a message you want at that point? Would you like to tell the young people or the older people who are listening now who would need inspiration? Is there anything that you would like to leave with them? Yeah, I mean, that you can do whatever you set your mind to. The naysayers in the background, because there will always be people telling you that you can't do something or you shouldn't do something. That's not their call. You have to be able to figure out what you want to do in life and really embrace who you are. And there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way, trust me. Uh, when I graduated college, I was broke, okay? I was broke living with a roommate, sleeping on the floor, broke. So I went through some really tough times. I was divorced when I was in college at a university on my own for the very first time raising two girls. So I went through some really challenging times trying to find out who I was as a woman and what was gonna be my goal to get me and my daughters to the next step. And so just drown out all the negativity, stay focused on your goal and you're never too old to make a way never too old like you can't sit there and use that excuse as like oh well you know it is what it is I'm just going to continue to coast by no never be comfortable with complacency okay as a woman who has gone through the trials and tribulations successes setbacks that you have gone through it is very hard I would think for you personally to put up with a lot of BS coming from an outside party. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially from a man who, who's, who's not really about much or nothing, right? Yeah. You're not going to accept any foolery, correct? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I've accepted some foolery. <laughs> it's not like you're going to go all the way out and be like, yo, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with this. I'll deal with that. But yeah, certain things that you may deal with, you know, just because you understand life or whatever, but for the most part, you're not going to accept a, just a bunch of fuckery, are you? No, um, and you shouldn't. No one shouldn't. Um, everybody has boundaries. There are those who would accept uh, more than the minimal amount that they should, though. So I'm only saying that because... From what I've seen, and this is me gauging and watching from the outside looking in, even with my mom, there's just a certain amount of things that a woman will go through, especially when she starts raising kids and she has to be the standard and the, the, the tutelage and mentorship has to come from her for her daughters or her sons. And once she starts doing this as a single, single parent, there's only so much that she can take if she's in the right mindset. I know some women who are just looking for whatever bond that they can find but I know some real good stand-up women that they just not gonna take no shit from nobody because it's like I've done all this already by myself why what, what do I need you for and what do you do offer I can get that from any man right correct 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make make that clear. Um, and I'm only saying that because I I see like uh, you you know I have I have female friends. I have women friends. I love I love all my female friends. My women friends. I love any, all the women that I, I come in contact with and I I keep in contact with. But when I'm listening and I'm talking to them, and they're processing and I'm processing the things that they they they've gone through, and some of them are very quick to cut men off. And the guys are like, bro, why does she cut me off? I was like, because she ain't got no time for bullshit. Right. She ain't no time for bullshit. Like she's she just raised two or three kids. She's not in a realm of dealing with bullshit for the rest of her life. Like whatever it is you're gonna come with, you're gonna have to come with. You have to put it on the table and let her decide if she's gonna eat or not. Like she's just it's just certain women that you just can't do that with no more. Like they know where they are in life at this point, and you just can't play with them. This is not the yeah. time to be playing with no grown ass women. So um, salute to you and all those women who understand who they are and their worth and everything else. Bung, bung. <laughs> all right. So at one point I saw that you were doing hair. No, I, I wasn't doing hair. I was selling hair okay. uh, to kind of like make a little bit of ends while I was in college because of course, financial aid will only take you so far. And then I ended up getting a job and I was working for the post office. And so fun fact, when I was at college, uh, when I transferred to University of California, Davis, I was working at the post office in San Francisco, which is 75 miles away. So I was working at night and then I would come. It's like an hour and a half, two hours away, right? Yeah, that's, that's about right. And I would work all night, drive back, take the girls to school or get them ready, at least get them ready to go to the bus stop after a while. And then I would sleep for maybe an hour or two before I went to my class at 10 a.m. That's nuts. That's nuts. So that takes a certain level of focus as well, right? Well, now we're talking about focus and staying inspired. So at that yeah. point, tell me about that. What at that point is inspiring you and keeping you focused? What's the motive? What's the motivation? What's all that? What's there? The motivation. So, I mean, of course, this might sound cliche, but, you know, my kids definitely are my motivation because I want to set the tone for the next generation so they don't have to work as hard. Um, and then also just my own determination. Like, I am not going to, like, suffer. I, how could I put it? Like, I don't want to go through what my mom nor through what my grandmother went through. Um, and so like, I'm determined not to, to fall into that trap. Granted, they're immigrants. So it's just a little bit different. Their struggle was different. And then the time it was different, you know? And you think about that, like I think about the sacrifices they made to not only come to this country, but what they had to do to make a way and pave a way for the future generations. So I said, I'll be damned if I sit there and waste the advantages that I do have, not is not many, <laughs> but what I do have to make a way for myself and for my kiddos. So that's what kind of like really drove me. Like, I'll tell you, like the, I, I mean, I went to Davis from 2013 to like 2015. And I think like the first year and a half, like I don't remember sleeping more than like two hours a day. <laughs> it's crazy. 
crazy. You know, it's just, except for like on the weekends when I had my one day off, I slept. That was the only time I probably caught up on rest. But other than that, I, I really don't recall sleeping. But then that's how determined I was to make a way. So I did that for years doing music. And one day I finally overdid it. And I had not been eating very well. And I bust my shit, like my head, the back of my head, bust open and everything, I passed out. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you did it without that happening to you. Maybe you were cooking good meals and you were taking care of yourself. But I was not. I was doing the regular music industry diet. And it was not good. And I knew better. But because I was so interested in helping myself, a couple of people that I considered brothers and friends, I was determined to make sure that, you know, at some level, money was coming in for themselves as well as me. Uh, and after I hurt myself, I realized that those people, those individuals were not working as hard as I was. Because when it happened, they were still depending on me to do everything for them, even as I recovered. Of course. Even as I recovered. So salute to you and being able to, to pull that off with an hour of sleep or two hours. Because I tried it. And one day when I came home, I was in Chicago, I was chilling out, hanging out with a group of friends. And I went to have a, I went, I was having a drink and I went upstairs to the bathroom and I blacked out. And I walked, when I woke up, there was a puddle of blood around me and I was, yeah, I was laying in my own blood. Yep. Yep. And I had to go to the hospital. I had six staples put in the back of my head. Yeah. So, um, there are some amazing people who do a, a very, they go, they walk the lengths that other people wouldn't walk because they're they're driven by um, being successful or not just success. But let me say this, success is what we choose, not necessarily what we see on TV, right? right. I think a lot of times that gets, that gets misconstrued. Success is not based on uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, it's based on what you desire to accomplish in life. And for those who don't know that, you know, you should find that out within yourself because if you don't, you'll be like some of the women I know who think they're Instagram models and they only have fame. They don't have anything in their bank accounts. Um, it looks nice, but when you go to their place, they got a mattress, <laughs> on, they got a mattress right. on the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I ain't trying to talk about nobody. I know I may, I may get some flag for that, but I'm just saying, like you, you know how you live. I, I see the stuff you do, and you took you took pictures in my bathroom and videos in my bathroom before. So um, it's not all it's all cracked up to be. So success is what you make it. If you desire to be a million dollars, a million dollar uh, uh, revenue individual, then you should aspire to be around people that make a million dollars or more. You can't be around the people that you are normally around and think that you're going to get that type of lifestyle. It doesn't work that way. You have to work your way up, 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 up the ladder to be around the type of people that you desire to make the type of lifestyle that is feasible to your to your thinking. And it's not going to happen by being in my bathroom and taking pictures and then posting it on Instagram, or being in my bad bedroom and posting these same pictures on Instagram. That that brings up a very good point with like the thing that like people look at and they think about like now the instant gratification, right? 
that that's the thing. I think that most people, especially with social media, it's all about instant gratification through likes, through like, you know, um, like flossing, like do people still use that anymore? But flossing out like, you know, things and 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 having like the the flyest things, but but not having a savings, not having life insurance, not yeah. having all of the things that you're supposed to help your generations get out of poverty with yeah um and so like when you think about that it's a mindset and so when you brought you brought up a point of like who to hang out with to get to a certain level it's the the mindset that you have to have to think more as like to have more of that like thought of like i want to be at this level and, yes. and not every that because some people are just comfortable with like being on like a certain level and that's cool but you know on the flip side of that too like with social media the negative behind that is that you see people of course people are always going to show the good so that makes people feel like self-conscious about oh well I'm not at this level I'm not doing this or that and this person is, and it's like, well, they're only showing you the positive. They're not showing you what's behind the scene that got them to that point, right? Yes, yes. So yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Like I'm so, so past the whole Instagram, Facebook model stage. Like I've yeah. had my fun with that. Like you see me, I'm supernatural. I just washed my hair. I love no it. Makeup. I love it. I'm you know, like I'm going to work out after this, you know, like, you know, I, I, I'm in a good place right now where I don't need that type of attention anymore. But the thing about it is that, you know, that at any point in time, if you needed to get yourself uh, pretty, that you could go in there and do that, you know, that you could do that, but it's the ones who are overdoing it and, you know, yeah. they're using some, even so, even so something so simple as uh posting the pictures that they post. It takes them hours to get those pictures together. They have to take pictures over and over again just to choose the right one. I know. And, and I'm not, and, and we can laugh about it right now, but it's very, very true because I know it happens. I've sat in my place and watched someone go, can I use a, can I use your bathroom or can I use your uh, bedroom? And they go in the bedroom and I'm like, what are you doing? And they in there doing a whole photo shoot by themselves. They're propping stuff up. They're propping pillows up so they can take pictures. And this is like, you're doing all you that to be what? <laughs> you must have excellent lighting in your place. For oh, I do. Oh, I do. <laughs> Listen, ask my little sister. She'll tell you I love, she'll tell you I love being over there. When the sun hits, once 12 o'clock noon hits, I get sunlight for like four or five hours all day. Oh. My place is probably excellent for growing plants, and I still haven't gotten my plants together yet. I need to go and grab me some plants, which is another subject for myself on another topic on another time. But I do need to get me some plants. Even my my kitchen, my kitchen gets good sunlight. I don't even turn the lights on in my kitchen for until like uh, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow, what area do you live in? I live in Hyde Park. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I live in Hyde Park. I get good sunlight. Not always was it like this, but when I was living in a high rise, I did get I did get good sunlight, um, and in this place particular, I get very good sunlight. Like it's it's really it's really really nice. Well, high park, like how can you not? It's like the sun just is especially shines on that part of the city. I don't know yeah. what it is. But <laughs> I think it's the way they built everything. I think they had the intention of building everything inward, 
It wasn't yeah. supposed to be a welcoming community, community, right? It was supposed to be built for those who came into the community. So the way they have everything set up is set up for those who do come into the neighborhood and live there and everything like that. But um, I do get good sunlight. I'm gonna walk away from the lake, everything. Um, it's, it's nice. You know, I do enjoy where I stay, but I enjoy that because I work my ass off to get to this fucking point. But someone to come up in here and be taking pictures and, and wearing these <laughs> leather curtain eyelashes that they put on and they, the, the eyelashes be longer than they bangs. You know what I mean? They barely got any hair on their fucking head and they go in my bedroom. They go in there and have fun and have a whole photo shoot by themselves. It's crazy. You should charge them. I'll be like, all I'm right. I'm starting to think, but like, what, hey, if you're going to do that, like, I need to charge you at least $15 an hour at the minimum. Seriously. I, I would. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you're gonna go in my bedroom and, and start taking pictures when sunlight hits you, or if you're gonna move my furniture around in my front room where I am right now and move things around just so it can look comfortable for you, so you look like you're not in a natural setting and you're telling people I woke up like this. We need to have a conversation. I need to get paid. Yeah. But the thing about it is, is they're going for fame. They're not going for uh, monetary gain or. Situation where they put themselves in a better in a better situation economically. So um, you can do all that shit all you want, but what's the end game? I think I saw uh, one of the people telling me about that. He was like, "Dude, they do all that stuff and they still go home and they eat Harold's chicken." Yeah. I like Harold's chicken, by the way. But I'm just saying, like, what he was saying was that they go to like these basement apartments where they don't own much of nothing, or they go home to their mom's house and they don't have nothing. And all these guys are liking they post and everything and it makes them look good. So they post more stuff, but whatever that, man, I just wish everybody would uh, do a better job. Well, I shouldn't say a better job. I wish everybody would focus on finding out whether it's truly valuable to them, their actual talent and focus on using that. Not necessarily just to get paid, but sharing it with the world so the world sees what you have to offer. And we don't have I like that. that going on. Yeah. Boom. So then, thick thighs and good vibes. This is the shirt I'm looking at right now. What are we talking about? Oh, well, I got this from um, a, a place in Oakland. Well, actually, it's um, so they have an art festival in uh, Oakland called First Fridays. And so I had gotten this shirt along with another shirt that was like, uh, I, my skin glows because I mind my own business and I exfoliate and drink water. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, I love things like this because this is my personality. Um, and I do have thick thighs. Like I, like I done gained the COVID-15, okay. Like, or probably COVID-20. Um, like I am like five, nine and I'm 180 ish pounds. So I done filled out, like when I was in uh, college five years ago, I was 159 pounds max and never gained a pound and could eat whatever I want. Now I can look at food and my thighs are like, whoo, out of control. So this just describes who I am. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I, I gained the COVID. I got up to 190. I'm coming down though. Yeah, I'm coming mm -hmm. down to like, I was at like 191 at my heaviest and I was like looking at pictures. You never know until you look at pictures and then you're like, holy shit, like where did all this weight come from? And I was the pictures. Like, I walked past the mirror. I was like, who is dude in the mirror? Because I thought it was somebody in the window. I was like, who is dude in my window? 
oh <laughs> shit like no and i turned around and i looked i was like oh no we got to do it we got to do something about this i never looked like this before ever that's how i feel i was just like i never been like i probably maxed up to like 165 maybe 170 at my heaviest but i've never been this big except for when i was pregnant i guess but i was just like okay and, and for most people they're like girl you look good you carry it well but i'm like no you don't understand i'm used to being a fitness queen like being like slim and trim so i was like no we gotta get i at least want to get down to like 170. okay think about 170 would be good one i'm going 177 for me if i can get back down to 177 175 i'll be okay See, that's, that's what's up. But see, like in my complex, so we had a gym or we have a gym and it was closed the entire time because of sheltering in place. So like I went and bought the machine. You could kind of see it behind me. Um, it's like a squat machine. Um, and I was like, oh yeah. So I'll work out in the house because I'm working from home, whatever. And then they open up the damn gym, but it's by appointments only. And it's between a set uh, amount of time. And like, to be honest with you, I don't trust people like that. So I've just been like, you know what? I'll just work out in my home until I feel a little bit more comfortable going to the gym and that, and that's fine. Yeah, I just need to uh, get my ass back into the gym or <laughs> above all, just go running. Just go running. Yeah. A, 30, a 30 minute run, an hour run. It'll start to come off. Um, I'm neglecting that, as I've said in, in the past about me not working out. I am neglecting that. But what I have found out is that when I am trying on the current clothes I have on, it's getting a little snug in these joints. You know what I mean? Like That's a telltale sign. Man, <laughs> it's a telltale sign. It really is. I, I'm, uh, I'm struggling with some of this stuff. So best part is that it's it's winter and the sweaters fit they fit awesome because they just like they cater to the body and everything but those uh those uh tailor-made shirts that i have it's not looking good <laughs> oh yeah no they will totally bust you out like yeah they, yeah. they tell they tell because you can see the stress on the buttons from them. yeah they pulling they pulling i was like damn i can't wear none of this stuff man yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm looking bad. I'm looking bad out here, Pam. It's, it's fucked up for me right now. So I, I definitely need to get back in order uh, and, and get the diet back in control. I think that's one of the first things that I think I want to do, though. I don't know if it's I want to do the diet or if it's just the exercise that I really want to do. I, I mean, like, to me, like, if you start with the exercising, that would improve your mood. Like, exercising does so much, like, just instead yeah. of just the weight loss. It improves your mood and your psyche and all of that stuff. So that'll probably be good to get back into. I started with that first and then I stopped and then like kind of got depressed. And then I went to eating better. Like I'm doing keto right now and I'm doing intermittent fasting. And so like, that's been cool. And then I started working out again. So I was like, that it's good, but I, I'm not like going, like I used to work like a, a workout an hour a day, maybe two hours and just go ham. I'm not doing that. I'm like putting in like 30 minutes because it's been a while. Okay. So tell me about that. This keto diet that you were doing. Tell me about that. Give me some details. What's up with this? So, uh, good, good question about that. Uh, keto. So keto is basically like a play on the Atkins, but 
um, it's a little bit more healthier. So Atkins really was like high fat, but it was not really like the good fats. Keto is more focused on like better fats, like, you know, the avocados and things like that. Um, and so like, basically I cut out all the things that I truly enjoy, which is rice <laughs> and all the, the starches, like, um, you know, Idaho potatoes, um, like uh, pasta, things like that, um, and replaced it with better carbs. So like I have like um, this good seed bread from, I think it's called Killer Dave's. Um, like I've been eating, I love avocados. So more avocados for sure, focusing on meat and like plants and, and vegetables. So eating more along that lines. Um, and it's been good. Like to me, like I haven't seen any drastic weight loss. Like some other people like, oh, I lose 10 pounds in like a week. I haven't seen that, but I have noticed my like mood has been better. I noticed that things have been different um, as far as like my energy. So I'm keeping up with it. And then with the intermittent fasting, I'm doing like a 14 hour on 10 hour off. So like right now it's like I can eat for 10 hours, but then after like 830, then I won't eat anything else until like 1030 the next day. Wow. Okay. Thank you for the definitive expression or description of what's actually going on because i know a couple of people that are doing it but they don't talk about it they don't say anything it's just i'm doing keto like so what it what is it and they just, oh no you know it's just keto you know you don't need to know nothing about it now you're skinny you don't have to know anything it's just like i just want to know what it is like just tell me exactly. like oh it doesn't matter it doesn't it doesn't work for you you're already skinny like you don't have to worry about that type of thing it's like all right cool fuck it fuck you but um yeah Appreciate that. So, West Coast, do you ever see yourself moving back to Chicago or moving at all? Let me say that part two. Moving? Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I definitely want to get out of here. Um, moving back to Chicago? Probably not because my family, we're not that close anymore. Um, so, like, my aunt's still live in, and my cousins still live in Chicago. My grandmother just passed. My great aunt is like 91. So I don't know how long she's going to be hanging out and she, around and she is in a, a retirement home. So it's really nothing for me to go back to. I don't really like my friends that I did have in Chicago. It's not like we're hella close like that. So there's really nothing like luring me back in. I do miss home. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say moving back to Chicago would be like the ultimate plan for me at this point, but I do want to leave the Bay Area because I'm just sick and tired of living out here. Okay. Uh, I want to get into sports real quick because you live in Oakland, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Warriors are, are in San Francisco now. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? It sucks um, with the Warriors being in San Francisco and as in the Raiders being in Las Vegas now. Yeah. It just, you know, the the fact that being gutted out of Oakland, it, it's just really sad. But I understand why the Dubs left. I mean, initially they were in San Francisco when they came to the Bay Area, so it was just them going back. And the Chase Center is amazing. It is beautiful, and Oakland wouldn't be able. To to compete with that no. um so it's a money just, thing yeah exactly it made sense um 
I will say that the fan base in San Francisco is pretty whack. Like I went to the game <laughs> and like they were hella dry. And I'm like, oh, see, in Oakland, they would have had this turned the hell up. But, you know, so that's that's disappointing. But I understand. And then with uh, the Raiders leaving, that just like that was it. Like Oakland doesn't really have much going on. There's the, nothing after that, right? There's nothing. Yeah, there's there's nothing like outside of the airport that's pretty much in the hills pretty much it that's it <laughs> there's nothing else there like they took they stripped it down yeah they stripped it down because uh, i was seeing that and i was like damn they they took the the raiders and then now the doves are gone there's nothing else there for people to really cheer about in oakland man no i mean yeah. the a's but like that that's that Holy yeah. shit, I forgot about the, the athletics. God damn it. Yeah, they're still there. So, I mean, but then I heard, like, they were looking for a new stadium, like, too. And they were going to move eventually. So, like, I don't know when that's going to happen. But, yeah, like, it, it's just pretty sad because Oakland is, like, one of the only few places with probably, like, a, a higher black you know, population, not by much, you know, it's not like when people are like, oh yeah, it's a chocolate city. Like, I guess nah, like, but. Yeah, nah, no, no, no. The, the Filipino, <laughs> that's a hot, that's a big community there too, right? Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Like when you think about it, like, I think it, when the last percentage I seen, I think it was like 24% black in Oakland, something like that, somewhere around that line. So it's not like it's a hell of a population, like what they try to make it seem to be. But I guess compared to other cities in the Bay Area, it's a higher population. Yeah, 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 okay. Do you ever find yourself supporting like the Bulls because you are originally from Chicago? Always, I will always be a Bulls fan. Like, I mean, like I got, kind of indoctrinated to be a Warriors fan now because like I've been out here so long and all of like the people I know they're Dubs fans so they were like oh just we'll sweep you under our wing so like officially kind of like bandwagon with the Dubs and then Steve Kerr he used to play for the Bulls so I figured that was okay like you know so I was just like that's fine but I will forever be a Bulls fan I'm always going to be a Jordans fan he is the greatest of all time to me mm. I don't care yeah Jordan will always be the greatest of all times <laughs> period. so yeah and so yeah and I, I secretly root for the Bulls I don't watch them that often because they don't really play like out here so like so I can't really talk about what's going on with them I mean the only person I know that is on the Bulls right now is Zach Levine that's it that's the only person and, and, oh and shout out to Kobe White because you know bong bong Kobe oh, yeah. White, um, Mark, 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 and then, and uh, there might be another person that missed some salute to you though, but I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, all that good stuff. But yeah, yeah, I know who y'all are, man. Um, good times, good times, good times. <laughs> but I understand it though, Steve Kerr, you trade him, I'm fucking you. I, I understand, <laughs> like, you know, you got to go, you got to get paid where you got to get paid, right? You got to make your money where you got, where you got to make your money. Um, pre Steve Kerr, there was a coach named Mark Jackson who played for yep. who not played, who was a coach of the Dubs, yep. right? Yep. Do you think there is a good fit for him in the league right now? Because we're seeing all these guys get hired, but no one has said mention of any of his name at all anywhere. 
I mean, there's been brief mention of Mark Jackson, but not, like not compared to the, the Ty Lue's um, and the Doc Rivers. Uh, I think that um, he does have a place because he is the one who pretty, I would say kind of orchestrated to get like the dubs to where they were at and Kerr kind of took them over the hump. So like, you know, you got to kind of put some respect on Mark Jackson's name for that. And, and I, I still think that he got enough steam in the engine. So they need to give him a shot. I mean, I would have given like Mark Jackson the job for the Clippers. Was it the Clippers? That uh, Ty, no, sorry. Ty, Ty Lue ended up going to the Rockets, right? No, he's at the, he's, he's with the Clippers. Oh no! So it is the Clippers. Okay, Houston right. Rockets okay. got Stephen Silas. Paul Silas is a, a son. That's right. Okay, so I got it confused because the last article that I read was um, what's his name? Uh, James Harden was kind of upset they didn't get Ty Lue, and I was like, why? Like he's trash. Like, um, and Ty Lue, uh, I know. Was, yeah. Oh, was was I wrong for saying that? Yeah, like Ty Lue is trash. I mean, okay. So here's Here's my thing. Tyloo is okay. Trash might be a little harsh. That's very harsh. You no, know, when he won with the Cavs, can you not say their general manager, aka LeBron? <laughs> I already know where this is going. I already know where this is going, man. This is just bad. I'm just saying that LeBron kind of helped with that. I'm not saying that Ty Lue is a complete scrub, but I would like to see what he could do to get the Clippers over the top. And I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, he also had to get LeBron to buy into what he had going on. If he didn't, LeBron would have just had him moved out the way. And we, and if you don't know that about the sport, then you had to know, then you had to pay attention because if he didn't think Ty Lue was good enough to be there, then he would have just ran over Ty Lue. Um, look, that's easy for LeBron to just run over people, but he gives them enough space to show that, all right, this person knows what they're talking about. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do because I'm LeBron and can't nobody fucking stop me at 6'9", 250 pounds. Right. But, <laughs> but I'll give you your space and we're going to make this work and you're going to look good. I'm going to look good and this team going to look good. But I think that Ty Lo- uh, Tyron, Lu- I think we're not giving him the just do that he deserves the same way, same way with Eric Spoelstra. Look at that team without LeBron James. That's, that's true though. Like, and, and people would say that like it was because of LeBron that made him look good. Okay. So he was okay with LeBron, but there was still a D Wade there and D Wade said, yo, I had to step back and let him run the show because he was blossoming, like he was he was going up, and I was, had already been established. I was already a champion, so uh, no disrespect to uh, D uh, Wade because that's not what I'm saying. But LeBron kind of just came in and put his imprint on the team, and 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 followed up with 45 and 15 games, and did all that crazy stuff to win championships. So he's naturally like he's just gonna do what he's gonna do, but. We just seen Eric Spoelstra get a team that nobody knew anything about to the very end. Like they got to the finals. And while people are saying, that, oh, well, no one expected them to do that or um, the other teams weren't prepared. The fact that you weren't prepared is your fault. Exactly. Like, that's <laughs> your fault. You weren't prepared. These guys were ready to do whatever it took 
to win the game. Jimmy Butler played like an average of 44, 45 minutes a game in the finals. Yeah. Like, that's a, a lot. He's a beast. Like, like they better put respect on Jimmy Buckets, okay? Like that's respect, but like, like that contract, they may have to go back and like, yo, let me slide you some paper over here on the side. Yeah. He did his thing. Like, he balled out. Like, honestly, if they were a little bit more seasoned, it would have been a different outcome for sure. Um, yeah, like, so, like, the, like definitely, like, I give them boys credit because they didn't, like, people were like, oh, they're going to get swept. Like, the Lakers going to sweep everybody. And it's just like, no. Same thing with the Nuggets. The Nuggets did their thing, too. But you know, just not a, a seasoned team when you got LeBron and you got like Rondo who they want chips. You know, like they, they got that under their belt. They just yeah. like you got guys that have that, that the intellectual side of the game. Yeah. And the experience. So now yeah. we're talking about guys who are multiple winners in this league, or not just multiple winners, but they they won on certain levels. So they know what to do against these teams. And it's very hard for you to go in there and just say, yo, we're going to get, we're going to go ahead and win. And we're going to beat them against all odds. It's hard to beat guys like that when they know how to play the game. You, you're going to exactly. just run into all types of, all types of uh, uh, stumbling blocks and detours. And they're going to beat you at every, every aspect of the game because they just know it. And they're going to feed it. you into it. High IQ, high basketball IQ, both Rondo and LeBron, like Absolutely. without question. Like, so yeah, it was just, you knew they weren't gonna, I mean, you, like I knew it was funny because I'm a part of the sports group um, on Facebook. And, and of course they're like Dubs fans versus the Lakers fans and everybody else in between. And so, you know, Dubs fans was like Hayden hard, right? They're like, oh yeah, Miami's gonna win. And it's like, you know, they're not gonna win. Oh, like, you stop. Know? stop it. <laughs> like, stop. you know that. Just stop, like, just let it happen, uh, you know, but yeah, but if they were a more seasoned veteran team, um, a little bit more like the pieces of the position in different places. Yeah. And they weren't that deep. Miami wasn't that deep. That was not a deep squad going into the finals. They didn't not have at all out there. Yeah. Yeah. The depth wasn't there. But, you know, it, it is one of those things where, you you know, you think about those things. And I wouldn't say, like, I know hell about basketball by no means but you know I know a little bit and it's just like you know you think about those things and you're like okay well you can understand why the Lakers did chip you know and, and it just made sense now do I think they'll chip again do I think they're gonna repeat I don't know if, the, if we get a healthy Dubs back in the mix and then you got the Nets like you if you get a healthy KD with Kyrie that's gonna be a game changer I think it's gonna be interesting I think the next two years and this is just me I don't know what anybody else has lined up, but for me, I think the next very the, the next two years are going to be very interesting. They will either repeat or they will get it. They will get another one in the next in the next two years. That's just me, because the Warriors have to gear up to understand what this is, yeah. and the Nets have to gear up to understand what this is. LeBron now knows what this is. Yeah, he just went through it, and I think that people keep. They keep forgetting this this part of the uh, equation. LeBron is he's he's experiencing everything. He just experienced injury. He know what it's like yeah. to lose four, five, six, seven fucking finals. Like he knows what that feels like, and he knows what it's like to win at a high level. 
and now he knows what it, it feels like to win in a bubble. This dude just experienced yeah. everything. That's true, though. I didn't think about it like that with the bubble because, you know, that was the running joke, right? They're like, oh, it's a bubble chip. This doesn't mean shit. It don't you count. Know, like, it don't count. It don't, it don't count. count. You know, like, it's just like, and it's like, no, that's hard. Like, it's it's really hard. No, don't get me wrong. It's hard going into other people's turfs and playing too. But like, when you're on the road for like how many months playing in a bubble, like that, that's a lot. That takes a certain amount of like, you know, just like skill on a whole and like mindset to like even overcome that because I, I would have went crazy. Could you imagine, you know, being confined to a like this one place to play your games? No, you can't <laughs> have your what? girl around you. You can't have your girl, your family. That's that's crazy. I would have quit. I'm like, yo, I'm going, bro. I'm going home, bro. I need my girl here. Yeah. Lou Williams did. <laughs> Lou Williams, like, yo, he, what they call him, Lemon Pepper Lou? He's like, yo, before I even get here. Let me go out here and, and, and act a fool. Yo, I, there's no, listen, he had, LeBron has, he has seen it all. He has seen it all since he's been, been in the league. Remember his first year, they told him that he wouldn't be the guy that they thought he would be. His yeah. first game, he had 25, like nine, eight and eight or nine and eight or some shit like that. And after that, he was like, well, it's only his first game. He won't last long like that. 16 year, years later, here we are. Yeah, he abused. Still talking about LeBron James. And the thing that they bring up that I brought up to someone else is I said, he been to the finals nine times and he only won four. He said, but Mike wouldn't have done that. I said, but Mike never did it. So we don't yeah. know. And Mike, Mike had Scotty. LeBron yeah. barely had a Kyrie Irving. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's a big difference in this guy and what he's able able to do, because he usually takes mediocre teams to the finals and then he loses. That is true. And, yeah, and we're not recognizing the fact that he's he's been able to do that. We we look at Jordan, and I, it's no knock against Jordan because I think he's the greatest player, the like the, the the killer. Like that's just that's just a fucking killer on the court. Like what he's done is just different. He's just different. LeBron is not a scoring title winner for ten seasons in a row like Jordan is. He is right. not number one on the uh, first all offensive and, and NBA defensive team. That's Mike. Yep. Eight, nine, ten years in a row. Like, we know that. But LeBron in his situation, the things that he have seen is just different from everybody else. And we have to take that in context and look at it and go, hey, throughout his career, he has adjusted to everything. Yeah. He left yeah. Cleveland to go to Miami. Miami was like his college years for him. All right? Yeah. He went to Cleve. He went to Miami. He became a two-time champion. I think I don't know if I got it right, but he he, he became a two-time champion. Right. Took over the took over the team. Lost one year. Came back and won two in a row, whatever it was, and then left there and went back to Cleveland and won again because he understood it was like, oh, this is what it takes to win. Even if it's just me on the court doing it, this is what it takes to win. It's yeah. there's there are there's not that many guys in the league that ever played that could do what he has done. And I'm not the biggest advocate for LeBron. I just think that more people should give him the respect that he deserves because it's just there. Like what he's done, even if he didn't win 10 championships out of the 10 and he went, the fact that you went 10 times says a lot about you. 
That's true. And he's been playing for 17 years. Like, that's insane. And this man is like, you know, like, when you think about, like, how much he spends on, like, his, his training and his body and how he moves on the court, how he orchestrates on the court, like, how he gets everybody, like, he knows everybody's position. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows what works. That this man is a genius. Like, like, let's not be fooled. Like, this man is a genius. The thing that sets him and Jordan apart is Jordan is the ultimate competitor. Like, that, he ain't gonna lose. Yeah. That's, That's just a killer. He's just, just a killer. They just call it what it is. He's a killer. Yeah, he just, he's not going to lose. And that's a different type of mind. That's a, like, it's almost like an arrogance. But you need that to compete at the level that he he competed in. And you know that was a different time. They was beating up motherfuckers on the court. Like, Absolutely. that was brutal. And, like, this is a different game now. But, like I said, when I think about LeBron, he's like the maestro. He knows how to orchestrate and he knows who's good at whatever post. Like, here, you do this. This is where you should be. He gets people in line and people respect that. And that's how they win. And that's how he could take garbage players or I wouldn't say garbage, but like average players. Yeah. Average NBA players. Like, yeah. 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 NBA players to where like to like championships, even whether he wins or loses. Yeah. So, like, that's the one thing. Like, Jordan didn't play 17 years. In fact, he took a break, and then he came back. Then when he played with the Wizards, he was kind of, like, fizzling out on that that point. But, you know, and, and, and nobody will say that Jordan won it on his own because when Pippen came, it was a game changer. So, and but I was always told that in basketball, you need a one-two punch anyway. There every has like their one-two tandem that like work together and that's just like with Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. And then when yeah. Shaq left, what Kobe had Paul, is it Paul Gasol? Absolutely. Yeah. But even in that, before it was Paul Gasol, there was nobody. It was just Kobe balling out and calling people trash and telling people that they suck and telling yeah. people that they couldn't ball. Like if we're being <laughs> serious about it, like it was a point where Kobe was just just dogging people out that were on a team that he was on. Like he didn't respect any of them guys, and he had to wake up and re- well, not he had to wake up and realize. He realized he understood there is no way I'm gonna win another championship with just average ass players and me shooting and scoring 30, 40 point, points a game. I need to have another dog on the team. And when he finally got Powell, because at one point I remember I remember he wanted to come to Chicago. Yeah, I heard that, and yeah. yeah, I heard he wanted out. He wanted out of the the Lakers, and um, but like, of course, they they got Powell, and and they were good. Like he was happy, but I could understand. Like if you like you sitting there, you you feel everybody else around you is mediocre, and you feel like you know you you carrying the weight, then yeah, I could understand why you were one out. I could understand why you were one out too. You know what I mean, like. What is the purpose of me being here if I'm working this fucking hard and you got these butter knives on the team? I need guns. Get me guns. I need guns. Don't get me butter knives. Get me guns. Because I can't go to war with butter knives. You can only go to war with guns and bombs. Like, fix this shit. Well, I got to get up out of here. And and it worked. 
He got Powell. He had Lamar Odom. He had was it? Uh, what was the big dude name that was playing center? Salute to him because he had to end his career early on. Andrew I something. I forgot his name. He was like number <laughs> 17 or some shit like that, but salute to him. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to forget your name, but you know, you did what you could while you could, and you helped Kobe win championships, I think. I'm not sure, but Pal Gasol, definitely Lamar Odom, Meta World Peace, aka yep. Run on Test. Guys like that definitely pitched in to make sure that they were good. Shannon Brown was a beast too. That boy was so athletic. Oh, oh yeah. God, good. So good. Good. Shannon Brown, yeah. <laughs> Shannon Brown was crazy, like crazy athletic. Crazy athletic, you know. I think a lot of people have slept have slept on him too during his uh um time in the league, but he was very gifted. He was a very gifted player. Yes. Are you a person who plays who pays attention to baseball? Because it's very hard for me. No, um, baseball to me is not as entertaining. I do like going to the games, though. The games are fun. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm not into it. Like, so if you ask me about players, like, outside of, like, the few that I knew about in the past, I don't really know too much about it. Okay. Um, I will agree. Me and the homies, when we go to games, we just go to have fun. We're drinking. Yeah. And we're having a good time especially at Sox Stadium, which is where we go. Salute to the Cubs, but fuck y'all, because I'm from the South Side. Biatch! Um, I was like, yeah. I'm still a South Side. Yeah, well, look, I got on blue, but my blue stand for something else, motherfucker. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I don't, really, I don't really, you know, like I go to the Cubs games when I got tickets and everything like that, but um, I'm from the South Side, so I support the South Side. So, uh, yeah, but... When you're at the Sox game, there's not a lot happening. Yeah. So, of course, you go to the bar, and me and the homies, bros, whatever, young ladies that I'm with, we all there at the bar. We're having a good time, and we just enjoy ourselves there. But when you, I will say this. When you go to a Cubs game, it's a different type of experience. Like, everybody's drinking and having a good time. But the yeah. difference is, is that there are people at the Cubs games. There aren't, there aren't a lot of people at the, at the Sox game. Yeah, now, like, everybody's riding the Cubs wave. I remember when, like, the Cubs were, like, super whack. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> nobody was giving them the time of day. But I know, like, the last time I was in Chicago, which was about maybe three years ago now, they were building the new stadium. I was over there on Addison. Addison? Oh, somewhere on the north side for a business trip and we uh, walked my uh, co-worker was like a baseball fan, Filipino guy. And he was just like, oh, I want to see the Cubs stadium. And we're like, why? It's the same stadium. It's the same stadium though, right? Is it? Like, I thought yeah. they'd be like- They just changed the area. Like they just changed the view, the area, the area view because they don't want people sitting on top of the apartment buildings and looking oh. in no more. Okay, yeah, I thought they rebuilt like the like in a new area. Like that's how long I've been away from Chicago. So oh. like, I was like, because I was like, damn, they building them a new stadium. Oh shit, like that's yeah. big time, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, like being in that neighborhood, though, like I mean, like remember growing up on the south side. How many? How often did we ever migrate over to the the north side? Not often. Yeah, it wasn't a lot, but. Um... I think all they did was extend the field out a little bit out there. 
because it's a small field. So I thought, yeah. all, I, I thought all I think of they, 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 that, they, that they did was extend the field a little bit. But for the most part, it's just the area around. For those who have like an aerial view and can see into the stadium, they made it yeah. where you have to pay for those type of tickets and shit like that, which is bullshit. But um, I understand right. what they were doing. They're trying to capitalize on, uh, on every piece of uh, land that they can. But I mean, when you're there, you're, it's just mostly you're around people that are just not even necessarily they're Sox fans, but they're just there to have a good time and drink. Because when I'm there for certain games, they don't give no shit that they're sitting around talking. Hey, where you from? I'm from the South Side. Oh, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm from Minnesota. Oh, you know, and they go, they go into that shit. And it's just like, I'm not going into that with you. I'm just saying, like, I'm from the South Side. Like, you ask me where I'm from. I'm from Chicago. So the natural reaction is to say, I'm from the South Side or the East Side mm-hmm. or the West Side. Like, I'm not going to tell you I'm from Minnesota because I'm not from fucking Minnesota. But um, salute to them for winning a championship. I'm sure they could have done more. But that just lets you know the mindset of certain people um, after you, the guy that won you a championship leaves. Like, that, that makes no sense. I would yeah. keep the guy, but I don't know. That's just me. Um, yeah. So are you, do you pay attention to football? I do. I do pay attention to football. Football is probably my favorite sport. Okay. People also watch it today. I've been, like I said, I've been watching CNN all day, but I usually watch football. A hey, ex- wait, wait. Let's before we get back into sports, explain this whole I'm watching CNN. Talk about this. Tell me. Oh, what you know. Why I are just, you watching CNN? You know what? This election has just been like pretty fascinating to me, um, and I've just been really interested in seeing like I mean granted I've been watching Fox News too just to see both sides um but I I'm just like keeping apprised of what's going on currently um and it's it's like I said it's entertaining to me to like see how with an election with like one of the largest or if not the largest turnout in in history as far as like voting goes and how we have such a a juvenile acting president that doesn't want to concede. It's just very interesting to keep up with this. And it's almost like watching a soap opera <laughs> to me, so. You have a background in politics? I, I do not. Um, I find it interesting because my, my ex-husband, he was very much into politics. Um, it was one of those things where I didn't really give a shit about it like growing up in Chicago, we were poor. Like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you were anti like the establishment. So you really didn't care. But then like my my ex-husband kind of got me interested. And then I started learning more about it. I do have like a, an associate's degree in political science. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like hella like well-versed in politics, but I know enough. I'm gonna take a pause right here because um... I don't remember what we were talking about, but can you, do you remember anything about football? Bong bong? Yeah, so we were talking about uh, football, just like we were getting to that point, right? About football. Um, and so like, I, I love football. That's probably one of my favorite sports to watch. It's all, it always has been uh, when I started watching. I started like watching football in the nineties uh, with my stepdad. And like he loved all sports, so he watched everything. But 
football was kind of the thing for me. I don't know why, um, but it just has always been something that has like fascinated me. Um, and so I haven't been keeping up with it like because of like the politics that's going on right now. That's been kind of like my thing, but I'm in a sports group. We talk shit all the time about each other's teams. Like I'm a Giants fan. Yes, I know I'm from Chicago and I'm not a Bears fan. Giants fan? I actually like the Giants. However, here's the thing. That's very weird. It is very weird. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you why and how I became a Giants fan. So, like, I never was really a fan of any team. I just liked football. It was like one of those things where I was just like, oh, you know, and I knew hella about football. It was just kind of insane. And my ex-husband, who's a resident hater, because he was just like, you know, it was one of those things like we were com- competitors, not lovers. It was really strange after a while. And so like we would go to functions and like, you know, you go to like Super Bowl or Super Bowl parties, playoff parties, all of that stuff. And, you know, I'm talking and he would kind of get mad. Um, and so the thing is, it's like, I think when the Giants had ended up going like uh, this is the year. I believe when they knocked um, the Patriots off their perfect season. And uh, he was just like, well, you need to pick a team. And I was just like, huh? And then he was just like, no, you, you can't be riding the fence. I was like, how is it me riding the fence if I just like football? Like, if anything, you're bandwagoning because at the time, I think that's when Donovan McNabb was still in the league. He was playing with the, the Eagles. And, uh, and he was like, he called himself a Bears fan, but then he wanted to be a Phillies fan too. And it's like, what the fuck? Like you either a Bears fan or you not, you actually claiming that you a fan of a team. I'm not claiming I'm a fan of a team. I just like rooting for like the underdog at the time or whatever. And so he was just like, well, you need to pick a team. And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll roll with the Giants. And then it just kind of stuck. You know, it just, it was like, that was the year that the Giants, I think they had went like, they were zero and four, like the like during that season, and then all of a sudden they just came, killing it, killing it every game, and then the Patriots, of course, with Tom Brady being one of the best of all times, you know everybody expected them to like win, and then that's when like the Giants knocked them off their throne, and so it just kind of stuck. So I I kind of like still am one of those like fans that's still kind of like uh, I just kind of like just like football. But I tend to root for the Giants a little bit more. So that's how I would kind of like look at it. But yeah, that's kind of like my whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm wondering about that because I'm trying to figure out as a person from Chicago who went to LA, how do you end up a Giants fan? But that 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 definitely makes sense. But I would think you would have chose uh some team out there, Oakland Raiders or anything like that. But now that makes a lot more sense, especially when someone's pushing you and telling you what to like and what not to like. But in there, you found your own team to actually root for. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's cool because they're disappointing their shit. The NFC leaps. They're going to be I like that for a while. I know, they are. They are trash. I'm like, they are terrible. And But, you know, they have potential. They have to gel. Um, so it's just going to take them some time. And then with Saquon Bar- uh, Bar- Barkley, sorry, uh, out, 
you know, that's another thing that, that kind of threw a monkey wrench and things. And, and so it's just like, it is what it is. But like, I, I definitely tell you who I don't like. I don't like 49ers fans. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they are fucking phony. Like, at least the Raiders fans ride <laughs> with their team no matter how trash they are. Like, the Raiders done went through some tough times. I done been to their games. They done went through some really tough times. And their fans are tried and true. Niners fans, you will not know a Niners fan until they in the NFC uh, championship. All of a sudden, you see everybody out with their flags and their jackets, and they're like, I am of the... I'm like, where did y'all come from? I haven't seen y'all <laughs> the entire time. And then all of a sudden, you see all these fans out of nowhere. When they're so winning, like, that's when people show up. All the time. And I was just like, nope. I said, it's so like, I love trolling them the hardest. because and, and because the Niners, don't get me wrong, they have a, like, they got a great history. You got the Joe Montana, Steve Young. You got Jerry Rice. Like, these these boys was balling. So get the fact that they had Terrell Owens at one time too. Like, like, oh, definitely. Like, let's not forget him. Yes. You know Frank Gore. You know, like they have they have really talented players. But the thing is, it's like with with them, it's like they're hella arrogant. Like as far as not as bad as the Cowboys. <laughs> Cowboy fans by far are the worst, but. But Niners is a close second, in my opinion. And so I, I enjoy trolling the shit out of them. Yeah, Cowboy Cowboy fans are mostly like almost, I don't know if I can say insanity or crazy to believe in a team that don't know how to get it together and they just keep keep roaring them on and pushing for them. It's like, and I get it. You want your team to win, I get that. But when they showing you shit after shit, then you know it's a shit show. But in the current situation they in where they have that as a quarterback or where they don't now, but it did look like it was gonna be something decent. It did look like they were gonna do something decent, but I don't know he's what it's gonna be now. I mean, like he's actually pretty good. Like people kind of sleep on well, I wouldn't say sleep, but like I think people don't give him the credit that he deserves. Like he I mean, like they gave Tony Romo credit. And I would think that Dak is better than Tony Romo, you know, in my opinion. And I just think that he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. But, like, talk about, like, that is a loyal-ass fan base. Like Super loyal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, I... I mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, like, I like the Raiders. Like, I, the Raiders was cool. I, I definitely respect their fan base. I love going to their games and, and tailgating when they we're here. Um, Do you think and, that Dak will get his uh, a big contract signing after this? Do you think he'll get it? You don't think so? I feel like he will. You think so? Yeah. I mean, so, they, so how many quarterbacks out there for them to to put in that spot that guys would be familiar with or be comfortable with, right? I'm not sure how many people there are that you could put in that in that position that the team will adjust will adjust to and just go for. I think after that, I think I think after his injury, the season is over, and they'll just sign Dak and just continue to roll forward. I mean, it was, Andy it, Dalton just all of a sudden just comes through. 
I mean, I, I mean, I think they should. I think this was the key that showed his value. Unfortunately, it had to be the injury that showed that. But like when they, when he decided to hold out on the contract, and they brought in Andy Dalton as a backup and was willing to like pay that man, I was kind of fucked up, you know, like that. That I was, I was like, okay, like, all right, that's kind of a bonehead move organization, but okay, we'll see how it plays out. And then the fact that he's injured now and still doesn't have a really like have a contract, that's kind of like, you know, so that I mean, to do the right thing, like the right thing would be to like give him the contract. Give him you don't the think contract. that they'll they'll franchise Dak Prescott? You don't think they'll do that? They might. I think, that, I think that's the route they'll take. They'll franchise yeah. them, and then they'll come yeah. back and they sit down at the table and go, hey, look, you was injured, you came back, you didn't have much you know, going on, so this is what we're going off at this at this particular time. So this is what we're going to offer you until uh, further notice. Like, I, I just feel that that's, that's the route that they'll take. Yeah, I think that's definitely more reasonable. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think they'll go that route. And, and they'll try to build from there. Should I pause it? No, we're good. Do you think that more black kids should attend HBCUs? Oh, that's a good topic. Um, I do. <laughs> I, I, I honestly do. Um, I was actually pushing my daughter because she's in college, uh, and. I, I was pushing her to choose the HBCU, but she ended up choosing a state school here, which is fine. Um, she's in San Diego. So um, I do because I think it provides you a different type of growth mindset, if that makes sense. Like you get the education, but then you get the sense of self. Okay. okay. Um, I think it also, because you choose the HBCU, you get to be around people who are more like you and they mm -hmm. share a same, they, they share the same experience that you may have uh, coming up in this world and growing up and going through the things that you may grow up with. Uh, when you're yeah. at a USC or University of Illinois and all these other programs, you don't necessarily get that fellowship and that relationship of people who understand what it is that you're going through and they're dealing with what you're dealing with. And I think that's very important and key to the lifestyle of Black Americans or Black people, Indigenous, African, or whatever it is you may call it. Like, they don't have that experience. And it's important to have that, whether it's Tuskegee or Morehouse or Howard or whatever it is. I think that more Black people should have that. I also think that, brrr, drum roll, more black athletes should attend these colleges instead of giving their talents away to these colleges that are going to profit off of your ability. The UNC's, the, the, the Kentucky's, like all these colleges are going to profit off you and receive more money than you'll ever get. Like they're going to gain, they're going to gain off of the fact that you're an active athlete and you're not going to get anything out of it. And if you're going to give it to somebody, why not give it to the HBCUs that come from where you come from and are trying to establish themselves? But that's just me and my thinking. What do you think? I agree. I definitely agree. But here's the problem. 
the problem is that HBCUs are underfunded. And so once again, if you had people that were donating and giving to their endowments, like you have with these other colleges, then they will have the facilities because that's what draws these young men and women in. You looking at the facilities at UCLA versus like, you know, what you might see at Howard, you might be like, oh, wow, I'm going to go to UCLA. Plus the fact that you get more visibility being at those colleges, right? So that's the disadvantage that the HBCUs have. And so like, I agree though. I do agree that that's why I said the sense of self, because like when you have the ability to go to an HBCU, you are around people most likely that are like yourself from similar backgrounds and that you can support each other and lean on one another. But, you know, there's the, the thing that like now you have like the fact that there are like underfunded, not so much, not so many people are going there. And then like, you know, that that's a whole nother issue in itself. So it's like, how can we do better with having the, like the our children being like, oh, this is a reasonable option. Because another thing too is like, when you think of HBCUs, they don't think they're as prestigious as some of these other universities. And I think that's so far from the truth because the Spelman, Spelman is a damn good university. Morehouse is a good university. Howard is a really good university. All of these schools are really good schools, but then they're the best black schools. That's the problem. That's the only problem. They, they aren't propped up to be the best schools. So for the young men listening uh, and inspiring to go to the, the to HBCUs or wondering if they should go, you should go. These programs are only successful when you go. When you give your talent to Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, University of North Carolina, Georgia, whatever it is, Georgia Tech, all these schools, UCLA, UCLA, you give your talent to them and they shovel you along. These programs only know about you because they know that you're about your talent. They wouldn't have any interest if you weren't as good as you say, as good as people know that you are to be. And now we need to get to the point where we're sharing more of our talent with our own actual schools instead of putting our talent, our talent into these schools that don't really give a shit about you or your community. I'm sure these uh, schools that are HBCUs would, would care more about the, the actual area where you came from because they will have something. They will have a reason to give it back. And these yeah. uh, regular universities don't have a reason at all to give it back. But that's just me and my opinion. I'm one man who understands the way that things are going and I understand the way that things will continue to move. And we need to change the way this shit is going because the HBCUs are starving. There are like 112, 110, 112 schools that are HBCUs and we need to value them instead of devaluing them by giving our talents to these top schools that we think are top schools. Um, our schools matter too, and we're not cherishing them and we're not providing them the best uh, representation that we could. And we need to work on doing that and making sure that we capitalize on that as well. I agree. I, I, that was well said. I really agree with that. And I think that that is one of the things that, you know, especially, um, you know, now with like Stacey Abrams, like, right, like, like with her doing 
such a, a fine job with like Georgia and like being the backbone as black women usually are. Um, it's like, she's from Spelman. She's a Spelman grad, right? And so well, you, you have to also like prop up the people that are these graduates and say, hey, look at these people. These are talented, successful people, but you don't see that. You don't, you never see that. You just see the people who are like president who went to Harvard or Princeton, or you see the, these people that sit in these certain posts and they've gone to these universities. And honestly, that's fine. That's cool. You know, you choose what you choose, but I, I do think that HBCU should be definitely a focal point for people yeah, of color. Definitely. Um, are there, is there anything that you're working on or that you have coming up that you would like to talk about right now? Well, I mean, I was about to say no, but then I, I mean, I, I am a part of, I'm a co-founder of a group at my job um, called Orion Nebula and it is uh, for people of the uh, diaspora. Um, and so like we are, focusing on like making a, or having a bigger presence in tech. And so what that is looking like is one, like, you know, having more collaboration with people that look like us in the industry. Then on, from that point, we're hoping to use that to branch into different things, like such as like mentoring youth in the community around like the tech and, and getting into like, you know, STEM and the importance of it, you know, and, and why we need them, why we, why we are pushing for this. Um, and so like, that's kind of like where I'm looking at right now. And so like I, I mentioned this earlier, like I'm always a person who likes to be behind the scenes, but I think that one of the things that I've been learning about myself is like, I don't think I'm meant to be a behind the scenes person. I'm forcing myself to be a behind the scenes person um, because um, I'm uncomfortable with being the face of anything. But I think that in order to make real change, you have to put yourself out there. So yeah, that is what I'm working on right now. So we'll see what the future may hold. Maybe I'll get back to my podcast that I was supposed to be doing, but we'll revisit that in 2021. Maybe, never know. Um, it just depends on the time of you, yourself and the people around you that affects uh, how that may actually turn out. So um, blessings to you and I'll continue, ex continue ex success and everything that you have going on. So um, I think you, you will get there. Everything will turn out the way that it's supposed to turn out. It's just the, 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 the times, you know, just trying to get everything to, to line up, you know, everything will work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. It, in due time, like if anything I've learned about any, like things in life, it takes patience and it takes diligence. And so I'm willing to have both. Uh, so yeah, we'll get there. And you inspire me, like, look what you're doing. Like you're, you're doing great things. And so I'm, I'm hoping to be up there with you one day. I'm not doing anything great. I'm just displaying the talent that a lot of people have and going forward from there. Like I'm not doing anything great. Um, I think it's just needed because the perception and narrative of us is, taken too far when it comes to uh, entertainment and the majority the majority of us are not we are not about entertainment like there is a very 
strict role that we play in, in talking about our struggles and our lives. And we want to display that. And often because of uh, executives and multimedia brands, they don't really care about the actual narrative. They care about what sells, whether it's shock value and things like that. So we definitely know that. And we definitely know that we need to make sure that we represent us instead of just a shock value and all this other bullshit that continues to sell. I'm totally against that. Like I get it. Like I, I get people that people need to earn a living, but I'm more so about the people and the people that are in charge don't really give a shit about us. They care about what sells, what's progressive, what gets them their dollar. Um, and yeah. I'm about the people and actually into not entertaining, but actually making sure that people understand and they're intuitive about where they actually stand and what should actually matter to them. So that's just me. Most people don't like that, but it's probably because they haven't actually looked into who they are, the things they come from and where they're going. And when you're not actually aware of where, you, where you're from and where you're going, then you'll probably lose sight of the things that are coming up. So uh, this is us right now and, and we're working on doing better we're working on doing better and that's all this is really about progression and productivity in the right direction not just about bs you know so that's that full profits cut podcast thank you jules wilkins for joining me i appreciate it you're beautiful you're awesome love you appreciate it bye love you too it was great